Welcome back to OTR. Our guest this week is Democratic State Senator Jeremy Moss. Our lead story, back to normal next Tuesday. Really? On the OTR panel, Rick Albin, Shana Roth, and Kyle Malin. Sit in with us as we get the inside out off the record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Thank you very much, and welcome back to this Zoom edition of Off the Record with a great panel that we have with us. We have Shana, and we have Rick, and we have Kyle Malin, and later on, uh, State Senator Jeremy Moss. And the governor making news this week, moving up the deadline from July 1 to June 22 for things returning to normal in Michigan. Let's take a look. The COVID virus in Michigan is not over, but the governor's COVID safety protocols are. And bar owners and other businesses have this reaction. We're back and we're ready to go. The governor is lifting all restrictions based on the ever-improving COVID data. Instead of 7,000 cases a day, the number in Michigan has dwindled into the hundreds. Instead of hundreds of deaths per day, the numbers have declined for eight weeks into single digits. The governor did not reach her goal of 70% of the population being vaccinated but enough citizens did get the shots, which helped to propel the COVID data on a downward trend. So now what? Bar and restaurant owners contend it will not be an overnight recovery. It's a long road back. I think everybody has to remember, we're not going to snap back. It's going to take a while to, one, recoup what a year's worth of losses and um, to get back into the swing and, and get going. Well, Michigan businesses may be pleased with the governor's decision. The head of the Michigan Freedom Fund, funded by major Republican donors, dismisses the governor's move as too little too late. This is absolutely too little too late, and it's still later. It's not even happening today. It doesn't start until next week. There's no reason that the restrictions can't be lifted now. So she's playing politics with this? Oh, this, Tim, this whole thing has been political. The governor counters her decisions were based on science. Progress Michigan, funded by Democrats, could not appear on camera, but issued this statement, quote, We're grateful for Governor Whitmer's efforts throughout this crisis, and we're ready to help our state recover even stronger than before. So circle this date on your calendar. COVID restrictions are gone. And the governor hopes for good. So, Shana, how come the governor's doing this? That's a good question. And Thank honestly, you. given that they have... <laughs> Most of mine are. <laughs> you know, I want to give credit where credit's due. Thank I you. I mean, given that we haven't hit that 70% vaccination rate that was initially sort of her goalpost, I was really... I know that everybody had been saying for a couple of weeks that it was looking like she was going to lift them sooner, lift them sooner, but vaccination rates are down and we still haven't hit that 70% rate. And while also COVID testing rates are also down, there's also those variants that are out there, particularly a concerning Delta variant. So yeah. it was kind of surprising to me that she decided, you know what, we're going to lift everything on Tuesday, which while I know the businesses are saying, why not tomorrow? It's still very, very soon. Um, it's something I personally am not ready for. I'm going to keep wearing masks, even though I'm fully vaccinated. I will continue to eat outside. Um, so this is, I think, something that a lot of people are going to have to be grappling with. Kyle, is this a roll of the dice? No, I don't think so, Tim. I, I mean, look, I mean, how many people out there are still following 
these recommendations who won't be following them on June 2. Uh, the fact is, is that ever since the mask mandate got lifted, folks have already kind of treated this as being back to normal anyway. Those people who feel comfortable going out, being in public, have been out in public. And while the restrictions are being lifted, how many times has the state actually enforced any type of COVID order uh, since the mask mandate got lifted? Uh, I think that uh, for the governor's standpoint, she's taken a lot of hits in the, in the media. And uh, this is to give her a, a win and, and make her look like the good guy for a while uh, when it comes to COVID. I mean, for a year, she's been the bad guy. She's been trying to keep us safe. She's been putting additional restrictions out there. And while she's done it in the, in the, uh, the goal to uh, make us safe, uh, it's had some negative repercussions to it. She has ticked off a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And if she can come out and just say, hey, you know what, we're going to go back to normal a week earlier, it's, it's at least a, a day, if not a few more days of some positive headlines. So, Rick, was there a collective sigh of relief on your side of the state when the governor made this move? Well, I, I think uh, the collective side that I wrote about in my story was my own because <laughs> there had been this anticipation that something was going to happen. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, I, I don't see that moving this up by a handful of days is a particular win for the governor, although she did get a little uh, you know, uptick and, and maybe positive coverage when she first announced this. But Again, kind of an unusual way. If you're going to do this, don't you do some kind of an avail where you can come out and say, look, um, because of all that we have done as an administration, we have kept you safe, as Kyle was talking about, for the past 16 months. And now because of that, we have a success to announce. And, and instead, they did it with a release, which is, to me, somewhat puzzling. But uh, I, I do think that uh, the reality is from the time that the uh, that that this administration and I think 49 others around the state were caught off guard uh, when the feds said, take off your mask. I think at that moment, uh, things have pretty much started to, I don't know if the word is normalized, but it started to, to revert back to where we were. Because when you can go into big box stores, when you can go into Meyer, when you can go into Walmart and not wear a mask, the fact is many people just quit wearing them. So I don't know exactly what it means, except that uh, there is probably some relief that we anticipate there won't be other restrictions unless there is some kind of a big backslide, which we all hope doesn't happen. So, Shana, are, are the politics of this issue now over? No. Oh, no. I mean, there's still a lot of COVID funding that they're going to be fighting over. There's still uh, re-elections coming up that she's going to have to be fighting and constantly uh, explaining how she handled the COVID-19 crisis and how she continues to handle it. There's and as Rick alluded to, there's always the possibility that there is that there could be some sort of backsliding that could require the health departments to come out with new uh, restrictions or reinstate some restrictions. That's always a possibility. And so this is something that's just, that's far from over. As much as it feels like, you know, shoving out a release saying, hey, the restrictions are gone, kind of feels like, hey, we just want to move on. They're not going to be able to. That's, that's, just, that's just not possible. But Kyle, how long can the Republicans ride this COVID horse vis-a-vis -vis the governor, quote, abused her power? Do you think six months, if this thing is over, that anybody at home will give a hoot that she allegedly did that when she says, I did not? Or is that a non-issue? Or is it still alive in a campaign? 
Well, I think it's going to depend on how folks uh, react in their focus groups and, and in the polling, and they're going to continue to do that to see if people uh, are still, you know, connecting with that issue or if we've moved on to other things. Um, I, I'm going to guess that uh, in a year's time, in six months' time, I think you're probably right, Tim. I think people are going to move on. Uh, we're going to look at COVID as a time that happened a long time ago, even though it was only six months ago or a year or whatever it's going to be, um, and, and look at back at that as kind of a, an anomaly, kind of a strange time that we all went through. And, and can you believe we all did this stuff and we all did th- things that maybe we wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, History always makes things look a little fonder um, than they are. And uh, it is going to depend on uh, the governor or whoever uh, painting that good picture. I mean, uh, sometimes history is also determined by how people look back at it and how it is framed and and how uh, it's presented. And uh, if uh, the governor can go back or somebody else can go back and, and frame this time as her trying to protect us and the numbers aren't as bad as they could have been, then uh, I think that, uh, you know, the Republicans will have a harder time getting making political hay out of it. All right, Rick, let's turn the page to an agreement this week. Goodness gracious, they finally are moving the federal COVID dollars after sitting on this money for months on end. What the heck happened? Well, I think there is a a certain optic that plays if you've got all of this money at your disposal and you're not doing anything with it, you become obstructionist. And I think that uh, there is a there appears to me and I only observing there appears to me to be a certain sentiment on both sides of the aisle that they would like to be able to put together a budget. Part of that is an agreement on using this federal money. I mean, look, we have all been there when budgets couldn't be put together. I go back to the mid-2000s when we were in the chamber for 170 hours or whatever it was, some ridiculous thing, trying to to get budgets put together. When you've got as much money in the state coffers as we have right now, thanks to the federal government, and you can't put together a budget, you can't come to an agreement on how to spend it, uh, that's a big fail if you don't get it done. And I think there's a recognition of that, uh, again, on both sides of the aisle, that they have to do something. And I think part of what we've seen over the past few weeks um, is both sides trying to play a little nicer after uh, 16 months of of what has been pretty much outright warfare between the executive and the legislative. Uh, And I think that everybody is saying, well, wait a minute, at some point uh, we have to get along, we have to make this happen. And I think there is a certain Uh, evidence that there's an election coming up, too. And I think that is having some impact on folks. And Shana, Michigan schools were just absolutely pleased as punch, as somebody used to say years ago, that uh, they're getting four billion plus dollars, none of it going to salaries or to the general operating budget, but all COVID related activities. Fill us in. Yeah, I mean, so it looks like the Senate has approved $4.3 billion for schools. And then on top of that, the House authorized $2.2 billion for food and rental assistance. So there's there's quite a, as Rick mentioned, there's quite a bit of money that's being moved around. What I'm curious about is that $300 in federal unemployment weekly sort of COVID assistance that Republicans are trying to get rid of. And the governor and Democrats don't want to get rid of that. They say that, you know, people still need that additional assistance. And Republicans are claiming that uh, it's preventing people from getting jobs because they can get more uh, by being unemployed. And honestly, if that's if that's the case, then maybe we need to examine how much we're paying people in salaries. So I think that's the thing that I'm really going to be looking at in all of this is, is that 
additional $300 in unemployment federal assistance, is that going to be tying up any of this COVID funding that they're working on? Kyle, you've got money going for summer school. You've got money for, for going to reinventing the ventilation systems in the schools. And the schools, uh, they'll use this money, won't they? Yeah, but uh, let's be clear. I mean, a lot of this money is going to what's called Title I schools. And these are the schools that have lower income students, a high percentage of lower income students. So this isn't like this is $4 billion that's getting cut up equally among all the school districts in the state. This is really targeted toward the school districts that uh, need, have special needs and have schools that have a, a high population <laughs> of poor kids. And also, there's a pot of money in here that I don't know what the governor is going to do with, and that would go to non public schools. There is still, and she's already vetoed this before, so I don't know if she's going to veto it again or if this is part of some deal or what, but she has traditionally said she doesn't want any of this money to go to private schools, but it's in this budget, so we'll see what she does with it. There was a so-called equity piece in this thing in the Donald Trump uh, uh, package that came out of Washington that is missing in this one, which would have given about a thousand bucks to every pupil across the state. That language, much to the chagrin of the education lobby, was plucked out of there at this 11th hour. Maybe we'll, somebody will try to pluck it back in, but we don't know. So let's call in our guest now, State Senator Jeremy Moss, who's been a busy person this week. Uh, Senator, welcome back to Off the Record. It's good to see you, I hope, if I wave my magic wand. Here we go, Senator. Good to see you, Tim. Uh, there you go. Uh, Senator, uh, are you close to a deal of resolving the expansion of the Elliot Larson law to include uh, segments of the gay community with a religious exception? What's the chatter? Is that happening? Well, I think that when we introduce this at the start of this year, the big win is that we finally, at long last, have Republican co-sponsors on our efforts uh, to expand the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to protect the LGBTQ community from discrimination, Republican co-sponsors in both the House and Senate. Uh, now it just remains to be seen uh, whether there's a tolerance of Republican leadership to move it. We did get a big win this month. Uh, I've been introducing the resolution to declare June as Pride Month uh, for seven years running, and it's always been buried in committee and never taken up. Uh, but there was a recognition that, yes, LGBTQ people exist here in Michigan and contribute civically and culturally and economically to the state. And so that resolution was adopted in the Senate for the very first time. Uh, and then the House took it up and adopted it as well. So we're moving forward on these issues. So to my uh, question, to my question, did you, are you close to a deal? The answer is no, you are not. Uh, yeah, I, I, we don't cut deals uh, on civil rights of people. Uh, we just want to affirm recognition uh, that we contribute to the state of Michigan and we should be protected in employment, in housing, uh, and in publicly available services. Shana, what you got? Senator Moss, this is something that you have been fighting for since you were representative. I mean, you've spent years and years trying to expand the Civil Rights Act, and you have worked with some of the same people for years and years. How has that, how has that affected you as somebody who is directly impacted by the Civil Rights Act to have to keep working with these people and still them not getting it through that, that these are important things to do? Well, uh, it's Harvey Milk uh, was the one who said that the most political thing you can do is come out uh, and come out where you work and come out where you eat and come out where you shop so that people know who you are. And I think that the biggest thing that has moved these issues forward are LGBTQ people just showing up. I work with my colleagues on the other side of the aisle on a housing package that just passed this week on criminal justice reform and police reform that's been taken up in committee. 
and I'm also gay. And so I think they realize that we're not so different from one another. And I'm not asking for anything more than anyone else has, but we're not going to accept anything less than equal protection under the law. Rick? What is the impact of the expansion of Elliot Larson from your perspective? Uh, because I, I think there are a lot of people who take for granted those those rights that we all assume that we have. So if this expansion happens, we don't know if it will or not, what is the impact for the broader community? You know, I, I took office in 2015, uh, which was the pre-marriage equality days. Uh, and, and at the time, our former Attorney General Bill Schutte was arguing that if marriage equality becomes the law of the land, nobody's gonna get married anymore. It's just not gonna have value to people. And here we are, you know, some six years later, and obviously that's not the case. The consequence of marriage equality is that gay people got married and nothing more. And so the consequence of protecting LGBTQ people uh, in their workplace, in their housing, uh, in, in publicly available services from discrimination is that LGBTQ people will be able to hold a job. Uh, we'll be able to find housing. We'll be able to contribute to Michigan's economy and nothing more. Uh, for us as a community, it's going to be a, a serious recognition of our dignity in the state and that we provide value to the state of Michigan as well. Mr. Mullen. Uh, Senator, my understanding was the, uh, the Pride Month resolution that got passed out of the Senate and the House that you had previously mentioned uh, was passed after language about Elliot Larson was taken out of both resolutions that in prior sessions, there had been a call for an Elliot Larson expansion. These resolutions didn't include that and that is why it passed. Is that accurate? Sort of. So up until 2020, uh, our Pride Month resolution was basically yay diversity, happy Pride Month. Uh, but heading into June of 2020, <clears throat> Um, with a very tense moment in this country following the murder of George Floyd, heading into Pride Month. And these movements are intersectional, that LGBTQ people of color face increasing barriers, disproportionate barriers uh, to equality. I just didn't feel that the text of our previous Pride Month resolution was appropriate uh, heading into June of 2020. So we put in language talking about the roots of pride, uh, the, the queer people of color who, who protested at Stonewall. Um, in, in the middle of a pandemic, we talked about the epidemic that our community has faced with the slow and insufficient uh, government response to HIV and AIDS. And yes, I put in language about the passage of Elliot Larson so we made it stronger in June of 2020 than it had ever been. Uh, but that Elliot Larson piece made it a policy uh, resolution because it did call for the passage of Elliot Larson. So this year, that's the piece that we did remove to make it a commemorative resolution uh, to declare June as Pride Month, but still kept in all of those strengthened stories that strengthened history of the LGBTQ rights movement to pass it in June of 2021 at long last. Senator, what is your proof that the Republicans are trying to suppress the vote with all of these uh, election quote, reform issues that are moving. Prove to me that there, that is suppression, sir. My proof is that clerks didn't ask for this. Wait a minute, My that's proof not, is Senator, that, wait a minute, that's not proof. That's a group that didn't, that didn't want it. Th they, Republicans, have claimed that they have a product that is going to improve election administration. And the very people in the state of Michigan who are administering an election says, say that this is going to be harder for them to administer an election. And the fact of the matter is, Tim, we already have a voter ID law here in the state of Michigan, and it works. 
522,000 people here in my county in Oakland County voted absentee with the current voter ID law that's on the books and there were no claims of ID fraud. And so now one of the things that they want to do is that they want to compel you as an option uh, to, to boost your, your proof of ID to put the last four digits of your social security number on the envelope that you send in with your absentee ballot application but clerks don't even have access in the voter file to your social security number. So Tim, if you wanna put your social security number in the mail and send it to an election official, you can do that voluntarily. I'm not gonna compel my residents to do that in state law. Well, Senator, with all due respect, isn't there a significant difference between not wanting to handle or being harder to administratively handle and suppressing the vote? That's a huge difference, sir, is it not? There are barriers that people have to obtain the, the onerous information that Republicans are going to require to submit an absentee ballot when the current law works as, as written right now. We have, we have litigated and relitigated this election in every which way, from boards of canvassers to the courts to the months-long oversight hearings. Uh, that they held in the Republican-led legislature. And Republicans couldn't even come up with a report that there was this pervasive criminal fraud. Um, so not only will it impact people uh, who face uh, disproportionate barriers to submit their absentee ballot, but it feeds the lie. It feeds the lie that the former president told that somehow our, our election uh, needs, needs to boost its integrity when our election system has been studied over and over again. Uh, and we know that our elections uh, were accurate and fair here in the state of Michigan. Ms. Roth. So we kind of know, given Governor Whitmer's stance, that these bills are probably dead on arrival, but Republicans have been saying that they plan to put together a ballot initiative, and then when they get uh, all of those signatures, that the Republican legislature is going to vote on it and pass it without the governor's signature. What is the plan uh, to, to combat that? Yeah, and I think that we're creating a heightened awareness of what they're trying to do. Uh, and we're going to absolutely be out there forcefully pushing this message that our elections were secure and everything that's being offered by the Republicans is just a, a, a form of voter suppression to make it harder for people to access the ballot box. Uh, you know, if you go back just a couple elections ago uh, in, 20, uh, in 2011, uh, the winningest thing on the ballot, any of, of, of the statewide uh, uh, candidates or statewide ballot proposals was proposal three to promote the vote. Some 67% of Michiganders supported that. You don't get to 67% of the vote with, uh, with Democratic support only. So Republicans acknowledge they want more access to the ballot box and not less. And I really firmly believe that the majority of the state of Michigan will reject any measure that makes it harder to vote. Mr. Albin. If the message from Republicans is you need an ID to vote, like you do for so many other things in the country. I mean, they simplify it to, you need to present identification. What is the argument against that? Our law exists now, it works. Uh, and so right now we have voter ID in the state of Michigan uh, and there have been no credible, pervasive criminal enterprises that have engaged in this space to disrupt our elections uh, here in the state of Michigan based on that existing ID law. Kyle? 
Uh, Senator, we had a few hundred uh, people out in front of the Capitol yesterday uh, who are convinced that there were security breaches, that there were that there was laws broken when it comes to the election, and that there should be a statewide quote unquote forensic audit. What's wrong with the idea of going through and just double counting, recounting all the ballots again, like they're doing in Arizona, just to make sure that the election was on the up and up, and the people who won actually did win? You know, these are the same people who think Trump is going to take office in August. So, I, you know, you got to consider the source on some of these things uh, and, and look at how credible uh, they are on those on those other things that they're pushing as well. So, you know, this election couldn't be relitigated more. Uh, and it was the Republicans who the Saturday after the election uh, opened up this oversight committee to look into uh, the, the election of 2020. And, and the Republican-led committee itself did not create any sort of report that demonstrated that there were vulnerabilities in the system. Uh, they had every opportunity uh, to present that. Uh, and so the reality is, is that uh, our election was secure. Uh, they could not find any any vulnerabilities that would lead to pervasive criminal fraud. Uh, and we need to move on. I can't live in Trump world. And I hope that, that nobody uh, wants to live in this space uh, where we just relitigate the same election over and over and over again and can't move forward. Uh, Senator, did the governor make the right move on moving up the uh, back to normal stuff in Michigan? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I come from a district that was hit really hard by COVID really early on. The first confirmed cases of COVID uh, were in my district uh, went, that were announced uh, on March 10th of 2020. We don't have COVID protests in my district. We don't have mask fights uh, in, in my district. And so, yeah, I, I think that right now, uh, based on, 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 on all the metrics, uh, based on, on the increasing numbers of vaccination, based on the decreasing number of COVID cases, yes, yeah, she made the right call. You gonna continue to wear your mask? Uh, when I'm comfortable, uh, I will take it off. When I'm uncomfortable, I will keep it on. And the grocery store, for some reason, that's that last remaining barrier that I, I want to keep the mask on. Uh, but, you know, it's we're heading into summer. Uh, there are more outdoor activities that don't, that don't require a mask, uh, and I'm looking forward to engaging in those. So you're going to go watch the Tigers lose without a mask? You got it. <laughs> Let's hope that's wrong. Hey, Senator, always good to work with you, sir. Thanks for joining us on the broadcast. Also, thanks to Kyle and Shana and Rick Albin over on the west side of the state. Next week, more Off the Record right here. Tune us in. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. For more Off the Record, visit WKAR.org. Michigan Public Television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.